The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Your mask is colourful, Annabelle, whereas your one is a bit more stealth, Ben. Mine's like classic anti-far ISIS recruit from the West. Mmm. Bane. Yeah. Don't know if it keeps the virus away, but it certainly helps keep people two metres distant from me. <laughs> No my hide my Katie Fakarong my queer key gone by lunchtime. Aotearoa's only politics podcast mm. with Annabelle Lee Kiaora Annabelle. Tenakwe. Actually, there's another one. There's um, Mehi Forbes has started one called what's it called? Party Party People. Party People, with Shane Tapo and To Henare. Mm-hmm. So there are now two politics podcasts in, in Aotearoa. Ben, two credible ones. Um, uh, so welcome uh, to gone by lunchtime, the um, kia ora to Flick, kia ora to our members, um, kia ora to Tina Tiller, who's over there, as ever, making sure that we arrive safely at our pod destination. 33 days to go. Oh, today is um, Ratu, September the 15th, uh, 33 days to go, so um, uh, we say that now because things change quite rapidly. We haven't had any massive pratfalls lately, so I'm pretty sure one is going to happen shortly. I mean, Jamie Lee Ross is still making a buffoon of himself, isn't he? He, he um, this morning, uh, he announced, you know, very generously, he's announced that he's withdrawing from botany. I think it's because he's so far ahead. He doesn't want to humiliate mm. Christopher Luxon and the other candidate, whoever that is, because he's so successful and so well-liked mm-hmm. that he's decided to generously withdraw from mm. the botany candidacy. Well, now that he's leading a mass movement against uh, the one world government, mm. he probably doesn't have time for it to be an electorate MP after the election. Probably needs to spend all of his time organising the people on the ground to rise up against the Illuminati. Yes. Mm. Um, he, 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 and his, he said that it was a, shaping up to be a three-way race. And this, is, this is this is a seat with about a twelve thousand national party majority, but he th- he thought it was a very uh, lockstep between he the Labour candidate and Christopher Luxon. Um, David Farah, the national party pollster, said on Twitter shortly after the announcement that Jamie Lee had been polling below two percent in the electorate <laughs> and was on his way to be thrashed. Well, the thing look, is, it's it's a generous move. But one he can afford to make because they know, like, 
they're 100% certain um, that Billy TK is going to clean up in Te Tai Tokiro, so they can afford that sort of largesse. They've got so many likes on Facebook, it's just a matter of transferring that into um, votes. On the one hand, David Farrer is the National Party pollster, so not exactly an objective source of information. On the other hand, Jamie Lee Ross is a proven liar and buffoon. So it's it's a it's a tricky one. <laughs> it's a tricky one to balance, isn't it? He's a master of reinvention. Uh, somebody said, you know, he must be running out of his nine lives. But I feel like he has infinite lives that he's constantly reincarnated, mm. Mm. and because of his terribly negative karma, it's always as a more lowly, sniveling life form mm. with each iteration. Mm. Um, <laughs> that is a slur on cats, I think, to even use that idiom. The um, We've got a few things to talk about. We've got, a, we've got a frenzy of policies in the last week or so. Oh, I've got a fuckatoki. Oh, hang on, everybody. It's Māori Language Week. And um, it is to wiki cometh the hour, cometh Ben Thomas, the rangatira of Gone By Lunchtime. Mm. I just thought that we should share a few. This is this is a favourite of mine. Kōrero. He ike kai ake e raro. He ike kai ake e raro? E raro. Iraro. Iraro. He ika kayake iraro. Iraro. Kafine. Yeah. What does that mean? So that means a fish eats upwards from below. And the, the sort of metaphorical meaning of that is the fish that now lies dead on your boat started its journey towards death mm. by nibbling on something far out of sight in terms of the bait underneath the water, unseen. And it means that from trivial beginnings, the fall of great chiefs can come. And now would be a good time to remember this because Jamie Lee Ross was once a National Party frontbencher. And because he was angry that he didn't get four promotions or something all at the same time, he set off this chain of events where he is now a disgraced former National Party MP, polling less than 2% in his former electorate, which he had a 12,000 majority on. He's about to be unemployed during a global recession, uh, and he is leading a crackpot party full of conspiracy theorists. Kia ora, Ben. Um, you're going to have more whakatoki for us through the course of the podcast, eh? Oh, yeah, look, that, that one went so well, I feel we should keep going. Definitely. Uh, um, Definitely. I, I was uh, saying we have a lot of policy to talk about, Um we have, among them, let's talk about that first, a policy from the Māori Party released uh, on Monday, uh, which calls for the renaming of uh, cities and towns to their original Māori place names. And also for New Zealand to be renamed uh, officially as Aotearoa by 2026. Um and interesting. I don't. I don't. I don't know how whether or not that how palatable that would be in the in the wider population. But personally, I don't have any great attachment to New Zealand. <laughs> I don't know. Is that is that is that unpatriotic of me? I just. It's like it's kind of embarrassing. Like the flag is embarrassing. The anthem is embarrassing. They all need to change. But New Zealand, like it's a it's a fucking province of the 
Netherlands. I can see like, the fire well, lighting up in your eyes. This is just like when you started campaigning for Red Peak. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I just wrote two the columns. The embers are kind of oh, lighting up. <laughs> Literally, I reckon 99.9% of New Zealanders wouldn't be able to point to Zealand mm. on a map. Mm. Um, but we're, the best, we're the best Zealand. Boom. Can I just maybe if we were better Zealand instead of New Zealand, well, that's that right. would what if be there was cooler. Like a reconciliation globally. And like New York can be York and the original York is old York. We get to be Zealand. They have to be old Zealand. Yes. And just like a jet, like there's 350,000 people in this province. Do you know, I mean, this is, this is, this is, sums it up. The, the capital of Zealand, I've done my research, in Holland is called Middleburg. <laughs> like, can you see these people sitting around coming up with the names? Oh, we'll call it Sealand. And um, what shall we call our capital? They said in their um, Dutch way. And they decided to call it Middleburg. I mean, that's essentially what Wellington is, right? It had to be halfway down the mm. country. Right. It yeah. is Middleburg. It is Middleburg. Yeah. No, but, you know, at least to be it's fair, named after the great When I lived Marty in Wellington, Leader, it struck Duke me. Wellington. It struck me as more of a Middleburg than a Wellington, really. Oh, okay. um, but in both my professional and personal opinion, I think it's a fucking awesome policy oh. that all parties should be adopting. Um I think um, a fair point has been made over um, the last day or two, which is that it's not about um, renaming the country. It's about returning to its original name. I think we've seen lots of examples. Is that true? Was it ever called Aotearoa? Really? Um, Well, I mean, that would opinion on that would vary from iwi to iwi. But I think certainly it's become the accepted... Um, name and obviously has long historical roots with um, it being that being the name given by Kupe when he when he first spotted mm. Aotearoa. I think we've seen lots of great examples over the last couple of years of um, of um, names like you know Auraki Mount Cook, Taranaki Mount Edgecombe. Now, of course, there's going to be Karens and Bobs who are deeply distressed by the thought of it, but the reality is it it will. It's about making generational change, and there'll be um, there'll be resistance. But I think a lot of New Zealanders, and certainly young New Zealanders, will embrace it. And why wouldn't we want to have those beautiful names that are unique to here, and not um, from you know Middleburg? Also, it will mean that if ever the Olympics are held again in an Anglosphere country, we'd come out eighth uh, between yes. Antigua and Argentina. Oh, can you imagine when you're doing your online shopping internationally, oh, how so much easier it it'll be down. to put in yep. your yep. your address? The like efficiency the, gains mm, when you're man, doing, doing like your transaction on the, the deep in, web for that special <laughs> content. Yeah, the increase in productivity, you know, I mean, it's massive. So as many a, wins. As a moderate centrist, but mm. also an enthusiastic treaty partner, mm. I tend to support uh, alternate names. So, like, as with Mount Cook, Araki Mount Cook. So both names are the name. Um, so I, I would, I think maybe the, the halfway point is you'd move to Aotearoa, New Zealand. And then after time, everyone would stop saying New Zealand, they'd say Aotearoa, just like nobody calls it Mount Cook anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's the kind of sly sort of way of 
<laughs> creating change by stealth that Don Brash has always been worried about. Um, <laughs> Sam Neill had a, a great quote about the renaming of um, of um, place names, and it and it, it's um, that every act of possession, which is what renaming a place is, mm. is an act of dispossession. So there's a lot of meaning to um, to returning those original names. The other thing I just wanted to touch on, the Māori Party really do have a lot of policies, and they have quite big policies. Um, they're very ambitious for a party that's looking at a pretty slim chance of getting one seat in the current election. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're, they're, it's te tai hauru, isn't it? Where they're where they're focused on most of all, and that, but that could bring in that could bring in two MPs. I, the thing I wish. Speaking of the Maori electorates, as if if, there, if only there were some debates being held, um, uh, that we could great. see the candidates. It's impossible. It's if if. You know what? Mm. You guys are in luck. <laughs> Tell us more. Wow. Well, starting from tonight at eight pm, the Hui is going to be hosting seven live Maori electorate debates in the lead up to the big day. No. I'm fucking serious. Starting tonight. Starting tonight, 8pm, mm. newshub.co.nz, mm. 3now.co.nz, mm. Newshub Facebook page, Hui Facebook mm-hmm. page. Mm-hmm. Replayed again on Saturday and Sunday mornings. No! It is all on. I mean, this is the most exciting thing I've heard today, but I'm not totally sold. What's tonight's debate? Tonight's <laughs> debate, Ben, is the Tamaki Makoto electorate debate, which features Marama Davidson, Green's co-leader, hmm. Penny Henare, the current MP, and of course, the old war horse, John Tamihere, for the Māori Party. Well, I'm looking forward to watching both the live streams and the television replay on the weekend. As Jamie Lee would say, it's a three la- a three-way race. <laughs> Speaking of renaming, what are we going to rename the wider Auckland region when eventually we are split off as an independent sovereign state? Mm. Given that uh, yesterday, Monday, uh, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, being the Prime Minister for a moment rather than the Labour leader, announced that while the rest of the country would, uh, I think, early next week move back into Level 1, the um, sovereign state of Auckland mm-hmm. will remain in 2.5 uh, and then maybe probably get down to 2.2, 2.1. It's hard to know. It's That um, uh, that, that decision was made. One of the interesting things about that decision was just as uh, Ardern was speaking somewhere in Dunedin, I forget where. A press release arrived. She was still giving her statement. She was still giving it. She hadn't even begun questions. And a mid sentence. It was 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 mid sentence. A press release arrived from uh, Winston Peters, uh, criticising the decision, invoking the old agree to disagree principle in their coalition agreement, but coming in quite hard. And um, he subsequently said that the medical advice wasn't followed in Cabinet. He's really kind of rattling that cage now hard, saying that he's been in the South Island, everyone seems fine, no one's banging the rules and they should be in Level 1 now and so on and so forth. Is that going to work, Annabelle? Um, You mean, is it going to work as in keeping them at Level 2 as well? I mean, as in, for Winston Peters, playing this, this, I'm the leader of the New Zealand First Party, adopting the... Oppositional stance. Well, I think 
given and that we're in the middle of the election, that it's it's to be expected. And mm. obviously, he is desperate to differentiate himself and to come across as the the champion for the regions again. So I I understand the strategy. Whether or not it will have cut through, I'm not sure. This is a risk for the government. Um, there is a bit of discontent out mm. there that... The decision was a risk. Yeah, and and even the period before the decision over the weekend where the rest of the country was sort of saw itself as paying the price of Auckland's, um, you know, <laughs> lack of attention to, um, mm. to hygiene or whatever. Um, I was down country... What a week and a half ago, or something. Middleburg. Down country. And, I love uh, it. You know, and I, I was and, so and, rural. And, and such a man of the land. Where did it you go? It go. hadn't occurred. To Champion me of the province. I was, mm. I was in the I was in the Bay of Plenty, and I it hadn't occurred to me that people didn't really want to see Aucklanders. You know, of course, as mm. as big city folk, we're used to travelling the regions of New Zealand like big celebrities. Mm. You know, essentially Hollywood stars, mm. um, splashing around our urban Cash. dollars. You yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure it was related to the where you'd come from? And I, I was walking down the street and this big mob guy, um, probably at 6'3", mm. with a, band, a skull bandana and dirty dogs on. And you know, I wasn't sure if that was just, you know, that was because he was worried about the virus or just fashion. He's like, hey, bro, you know, where, where have you come from? Mm. And I was like, Wellington. <laughs> <laughs> Middleburg. <laughs> Great travelling up the country. <laughs> North. I mean, getting getting a bit close to COVID country, but you know, nice to be here. Um, and you know, and there is actually a lot of discontent um, elsewhere about first of all about the decision to let Aucklanders travel mm. when uh, the outbreak hadn't been contained, and second of all, now you know, South Island, there haven't been any COVID cases there. Their tourism is suffering. I think, like Winston said, I think most people's solution in the South Island is just to ignore the social distancing rules. But that this will this will be more of a risk for the Prime Minister as time mm. goes on. Whether Winston Peters can capitalise on it, I tend to doubt, because this undercuts his handbrake narrative. His handbrake narrative is that, you know, I call the shots, I stop the government doing things that you, my plebs in the regions, don't like. Mm. But here he hasn't stopped it. You know, he's been impotent. His, his strength came from being able to pull away the numbers that the government needed to pass legislation. Now they're making presumably majority cabinet decisions and Winston Peters is powerless to stop the Prime Minister. Mm. So he, he's looking you know, more irrelevant each day. Uh, it could come in with, you know, David Seymour has been beating this drum very heavily, actor on the rise. Uh, Judith, Judith Collins has been getting in on the act. National are not, you know, they're well off the pace in terms of the polling that we've seen, but they're still, you know, in the competition. You know, the, in terms the, of the, getting I, I mean, votes. I mean, one of the things though to say to that is that every time you hear people saying that this is very risky, there's a lot of there's a lot of pushback on this decision making, and then another poll rolls in that suggests that everyone is four square. Well, not everyone, but you know, mid seventies to eighty percent of people support the measures the government have taken. That happens over and over again. I have not seen anything since that decision. I'll, I'll that's, that's, let that be clear. But um, basically, I mean, I, I'm just not sure how true that is, given that <coughs> people also um, outside the the sovereign state of Auckland will look at... Be, it's a week, you know? like so, Somehow once you can see it there, once you know it's coming, it's sort of somehow less mm. painful. And I, I don't for a second 
want to understate the impact that it has on a lot of people's businesses. That's a very real thing. Mm. The other thing for Winston, I guess, Annabelle, is that there's a real political or at least campaign motivation for him potentially mm. insofar as he, his bread and butter is those town halls. Mm. He is the he is the, the champion of the town hall as much as anything mm. else. And that is his environment. That's where he shines. He gets a kind of bit of a steroid boost from being in front of those groups. He famously, you know, is the man of the Lions Clubs, the RSAs, all that. And that's been taken away from him in level two. He's like the Beatles of, of town halls, isn't he? But um, um. but <laughs> you can't make your health policy. You can't make decisions around COVID based on on um, people being able to attend town hall debates, can you? No. My my other question, I guess, about New Zealand First, I was thinking about this for uh, the other day, is I'm not sure now if you were if you if you were trying to persuade somebody, just in an elevator pitch, you know, you've got a few minutes, what New Zealand First is for, what you'd say anymore. I mean, obviously the immigration argument has been inoculated. There's the there's the provinces thing, right? Like it's the regions. I guess that's what it is. But it's just a hard sell now. You know, there's a bit of, oh, with a handbrake, is that really? Is, I just don't, I don't see how that really washes with a with a with a swing voter wear a handbrake I don't, I don't know I'm just it, it just seems very confused I mean no again, disrespect to again, the bad boys of brexit who obviously mm, will be pulling it out of the hat but I, I again I think it's you know New Zealand first isn't necessarily um, great at at telling their story well about what they what they have achieved and I think I mean one example would be looking at um, uh, free doctor's visits, free GP visits for initially I think it was the under fives and now it goes all the way up to under 13s. I think. Under 13s. Mm. You know, that's a, that's a massive and important policy and, um, and one that they should be really proud of. And I think it's those kinds of um, policies mm. that they need to be selling to the electorate Mm. this time around that they're not really talking about and don't really seem to have any. That's a pregnant pause. Fuck. Well, I thought people Just was leave rip my balls fucking well, dangling what out else there. It's letting it soak in. You can edit that out, I mean, the, the, the thing good. is, it's very hard to point to... It's very hard for parties to differentiate themselves right now. You know, New Zealand First, previously, their, their big selling points now, we, these these weren't proving particularly effective, but this is what they were standing on, was we are shoveling billions into the regions and we're a handbrake on the government. Right now, they can't be a handbrake on the things that they don't like because it's you know they're not going through because of legislation now that Parliament's risen. The second thing is there's just untold billions flowing right now. Mm. You know, we're, the, the $3 billion provincial growth fund, this bloated monstrosity of pork barrel politics now is 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 a footnote it's marginal it's a rounding error in terms of the money that's being pumped out now you know almost on a sort of weekly basis you know uh 500 million dollars a week on the wage subsidy for instance um you know that's the big ticket item but then there's the shovel ready <laughs> projects there's the you know all the job start promises there's free trades training 
Um, and, you know, suddenly a few roundabouts in, in Northland and uh, a muscle processing plant in Apodiki just doesn't seem as significant as it did. These huge numbers have almost lost their meaning to the electorate. You know, the, the public mm. have become sort of inured to it. That's true. But at the same time, Surely there is some territory available to the smaller parties, given that Labour and National at the moment are fighting over a very kind of middle bit of turf. Middleburg, you might even call it. That, that, that you know, um, uh, national, uh, national, like, uh, if you blind it out, as you can do on policy, by the way, um, which, is, which is genuinely a very uh, worthwhile way of looking at the different parties' policy offerings, policy.nz, if you and you blind out the policy, if you blinded out the policies that have been announced by National and Labour over the last week or so, there wouldn't be it'd be kind of hard pushed to guess which was from whom, right? Yeah, like, the I mean, three thousand dollars start for um for the newborns, for the newborns yep, and the stuff. I was like, health, hang on a minute, who health put this led out? meth policy, education, six million extra hours of teacher aid support. And Mental health training for teachers. Right. This is the, this yeah, is the yeah. National Party, and 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 then we uh, we we're speaking as I said on Tuesday morning on Tuesday afternoon, there is going to be an announcement from the National Party about dental care. Now on the weekend, Chris Hipkins ruled out any shift on dental care from uh, a future from a Labor government in the next term, and that's that's an area that I think they have acknowledged that they had been looking at. So <laughs> National could be under Shane Retty, the new. Sage health spokesperson for the opposition. They could be about to plant a flag squarely in Labour territory by making some, even if it's not the whole way, even if it's just putting, you know, a couple of hundred million into uh, providing a, well, I don't know, a, a, a dental health check a year for New mm. Zealanders or something like that. It's, 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 it's an interesting play, right? I'm so, I'm so confused. Why? Because they're so like everybody's switching it up, and right, everybody could be everybody else. It's not the Judith Collins that we were led to believe. It's not very crushery, eh? It's It's quite kindy. Um, Ben, what's going on? Judith Collins has always been pretty good at playing against type. Uh, She was the social development spokesperson for National before they got into government in two thousand and eight, and she was. She was there, you know, very caring and engaged and aspirational. Um, And, you know, the Crusher persona suited her job at the time. So I don't think it's a surprise that she's she's quite versatile in a policy sense and in a presentational sense. You would expect the Crusher policy to be that that as she catches you speeding in your car, she'll extract your (laughs) teeth. Not that she's going to help you fix your teeth, eh? So this is... Yeah. If, is you don't, intri- if you don't sign up to the contact <laughs> tracking app, then we'll pull you over. And remove your molars. But I think you see that in the, the National Front Bench, the National Brains Trust is actually a pretty centrist one. And it's this, this is pretty clearly a strategy of looking like a government in waiting. Mm. So there aren't any... You know, outside of that sort of thirty billion dollar looking into the future crystal ball gazing um, transport plan for the Upper North Island that they announced, other than that, it hasn't been sort of hail mary kind of Kiwi build sort of policies. It's been very much government in waiting. Here's some incremental change. Here's something you liked about Labor that we are going to continue. Here's something along the same lines, which is you know it's a bit national infused. You get a voucher for your 
um, you know, a post For you and newborn care, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rather but, than, but rather isn't that cash. also a strategy yeah. that implicitly says we're losing? Isn't that a bit of a save the furniture strategy? Well, I think it's the sort of strategy that Judith Collins would have run in any case, really? if National had still been polling strongly. Mm. Yeah, because they would have been trying to present it's certainly not the version of the National Party of that people who were reluctant to vote for her in, in, in the National Caucus thought they were getting, right? Like, I mean, that was one of the one of the, the reservations, was that this was a... Or is that a personality rather than a policy question? I think factions in the National Party tend to be very personality-based, very uh, personal ambition-based, rather than over great ideological differences. Just going to throw it out there, I reckon Dr Shane Rezzi will be the National Party Deputy Leader yeah, next election. Absolutely. I mean, and, and it's kind of, it, we've talked about this before, I think, he was there the whole time, you know? He was there the whole time um, right under their nose. <coughs> they didn't even know he was a doctor. They were like, oh my God. <laughs> Are you serious? Wow. Um, he, um, you went to Harvard? Wow. Are you sure? <laughs> Have you got it yet? Could you? Could, we're just going to double check that. Let's not talk about Jake Bazant. Let's leave him. Oh, no, I've got a fuckatoki. Oh, Jake. all right. Let's bring. Oh, we'll just um. We'll just pause for a fuckatoki for Jake Bazant. So, do you want to introduce who Jake Bazant is? Oh yes, Jake Bazant is uh, the National Party candidate in Upper Harbour, uh, a safe national seat that has been vacated by Paula Bennett, whom was recently the deputy leader of the National Party. Jake Bazant. Um, is very keen to let people know that he was the co-founder of some parking digital thingamajingamy, park mate, or I forget the name. And uh, there have been questions raised, as outlined in a piece on Business Desk, the excellent business news website, that uh, raised some questions around the verisimilitude of uh, all of those CV details. Ben? So the National Party have come out strongly, saying that they back their Upper Harbour candidate. Um, the ru- these rumours have been circulating for a long time. Um, and so the Fakatoki is Hekoura Koia Kia Fero Wawe. Hekoura Koia Kia Fero Wawe? Yes. Mm. These are fuckatoki deep cuts, by the way. These aren't just the ones that you find, you know, on Pinterest. None of this hey tangata, hey tangata bullshit. Uncle Ben's no. like fucking done his research. This means, uh, are you indeed a crayfish who turns red the moment you're thrown on the fire? And that is said to a foe in a hand-to-hand encounter mm. who boasts that you have not yet hurt him, uh, which I think is a very applicable fuckatoki for whenever a party or a candidate comes out very boldly against the first lot of allegations that surface about them and then say, I'm standing my ground and sticking by my story, not knowing what reporters still have up their sleeves. Just slip that into your next conversation. Uh, so, to return to that question of the National Party briefly... It seems to me I the, I don't know, I don't know if anyone agrees that essentially the Judith Collins and her team are thinking we have a we have forty percent we should have forty percent lockdown that's even when New Zealand was deep in COVID even when Simon Bridges was not liked before things started going downhill the National Party had forty percent support and so the idea is that the most uh, overwrought cliche of recent times is steadying the ship and that's what's going on right now it's like we just need to 
get things steady. And then let's see in the last few weeks what happens there. But we just need to basically get that, convince those median voters that actually we're a safe bet. Yeah? Yeah, but I think that that would have been their strategy either way if they're, if they're heading towards the middle. If they were really worried about a collapse and they were really intent on saving the furniture as it was, mm. they would be really focusing on crime. They would be focusing on traditional Tory hard stuff. Oh, okay. So if, you think if, it's more ambitious to be going for the... Yeah, there's another fuckatoki about that that I can't remember right now. Okay. Mm. Well, thanks very much. It's about you can, you can sh- sh- shrug off the, the soft wood but the hard heart remains. But I don't... It's to do with Sounds today. good. Yeah. There was also... The, oh, yes. Oh. Okay. I know the Labor, one you mean. What? The Labour Party sh- last week, of course, announced its <coughs> much-trailed tax policy, which um, by most accounts is the dampest of damp squibs. Uh, essentially... What's a squib, by the way? Mm. It's like a thing that you used for lighting explosives back in the old days. Uh. It's also like a satirical kind of stanza, isn't it? But I don't think yeah. that's the damp. It's like a petard. But the squib attaches to the petard. The squib does not speak of its own sweetness, as they say. Mm. Kia, ora. Kia ora. The um, The tax policy, Annabelle, was, as Grant Robertson introduced it, ad infinitum was only to apply to the top 2%. It goes from 33 to 39 for people who earn more than $180,000. And it's going to bring in an estimated $550 million a year, which is basically what Ben Thomas gets paid for his PR work mm. in a week. Mm. It's not a massive... It's sort of... Is it symbolic? What is it? I think... Um Critics would say that it's it's fiddling around the edges, um, and uh, while people will be disappointed, they probably won't be surprised. Particularly after we saw Labor back off the um, capital gains tax last year. Mm. The thing is, it's that an Achilles' heel, yeah, in it, campaigns. Yeah, but like, I mean, certainly Jacinda Ardern has more capital than a than an Auckland three beddy at the moment, but <laughs> so. You, you could argue that she is ha, has the the ability to make some serious changes in tax. Mm. Um, whether or not uh, that would come back to her, her, I mean, tax is always a hard one. It's it's always one that Labor can get smashed by by National on. And um, with COVID, there's not a lot of appetite to be pulling money out of people's incomes. So you could say it's the politically smart thing to do. Is it the right thing to do? Well, that's arguable. I think what would have made it more palatable, though, is if we had seen Labour making some bolder, braver moves when it comes to beneficiaries. Mm. So, again, what we see when it comes to their beneficiary policy is kind of more fiddling around the edges, you know, moving up the amount of money that beneficiaries can earn if they have part-time work, but no adjustment to the to the core benefits. So um, Auckland Action Against Poverty has come out and really criticised um, their policy, they say that you know only the Greens and the Māori Party have meaningfully engaged with them for their their um, campaign um, um, uh, livable incomes for everyone or whatever it's called. Sorry if I got it Wealth wrong, tax guys. As well. 
Um, so, you know, it's it, if you want to see, um, you know, change for the, our poorest, most vulnerable New Zealanders who are now even poorer and even more vulnerable as a result of COVID, then you'll be having to look to those minor parties to um, to do that. Um, it does. It does have the impact in a very kind of uh, base political way, though, of just cutting off the air supply to this to tax. Right, tax is not apparently going to be a live campaign issue. And it, you remember, I think you touched on it, Annabelle. But like last time, the if you, we we had show me the money. We had last time we had all the kind of social media attack ads on tax. That that doesn't feel like it's going to be a live discussion. Yeah, they changed their mind about capital gains tax a few times during yeah. the campaign. I think even once after early voting had started, there was a captain's call after Helen Clark reversed, had already yeah. cast her early vote. Helen Clark may have—I don't know if she's still sore about that. Mm. Um, interestingly enough, I have a fakatoki for the oh, tax wonderful. announcement. Mm. Uh, this one is taya to moko kite aha. That means, to what purpose was your face tattooed? And and that means, why are you presenting with chiefly features like fine tattoos if you are brave, if, if you are cowardly <laughs> and scared? Mm. And I think that that is something that a lot of the progressive left will be asking of the most popular prime minister in living history. Jacinda Ardern, with all the capital of mm. of a uh, of a pre pre COVID Queenstown bungalow, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not transformational. Is that is that what you're getting at? No, I mean I think we speculated last week before the announcement that they might be really cautious and conservative and put it at about one fifty or one sixty k yeah. before the top tax rate kicked yeah. in. Now one hundred eighty thousand. Mm. In real terms, that's about twice as high as the threshold that Helen Clark introduced a 39 cent tax rate at in 1999. The other thing is in terms of raising revenue, the way that these uh, higher brackets work is that eventually people sort of creep into them and more and more people start paying that top tax rate. Now with Helen Clark over 10 years, that that was quite a significant number. Mm. It went from about sort of the top 10% to mm. about the top 30%. Here, $180,000 in a climate where inflation is going to be close to zero, Mm. (laughs) where there is going to be huge unemployment, wage inflation is going to be near to nil, you know, for the next sort of half a decade or so. Um, You know, it's going to be 2% or 3% or 4% for a long, long time. The amount of money that will be raised, $550 million per year, and that's that's optimistic because that assumes that none of the self-employed people in that salary range will structure. And the, the, the trust rate is unchanged at 33, yeah. yeah. I mean, you could argue that this is another example of where if you covered the name of the party, you'd be confused about who did it because, you know, we've seen the creation of a two-tier um, welfare system, um, massive corporate welfare, um, thanks to COVID, where we have the likes of Estee Lauder receiving, you know, millions of dollars of taxpayer money. So um, I think um, a lot of um, of um, advocates will be really disappointed. Given and, and good, I mean, it's good to see the Auditor General is going to be looking into some of that wage subsidy stuff. The you touched on it, Annabelle Duncan Grieve wrote a very good piece for the spin-off about where some of the wage subsidy money ended up. The spin-off.co.nz. 
the you touched on it, Annabelle, but the given all of that and that squeezing together in the middle, it should be absolutely acres of space for the Green Party, one would have thought, to really start building their vote. And they obviously had the Green School cock up and set back. But, I mean, you know, the, we, 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 they're still sort of languishing under 5%. There's a real mm. threat that this time round that the offshore support, which is more, more than one occasion basically added a, a seat um, in special votes, may not be held up so strong this time round. What what's happening? I sort of, I mean, one of the things I wonder is, I sort of feel like in campaigns gone past, they've had that kind of, what is it, jobs, kids and rivers? And like, I sort of, again, it's, it's bloody hard, right, to get that cut through, especially at a time like this when all of the oxygen in the room is taken up by the coronavirus. Mm. But do the Greens just need to go much harder? What do they do? What, on, and, and say we are the, the, the party that believes in welfare reform, that believes in people paying their fair share. I don't know. It's a hard one, eh? Because um, like you, Toby, I thought with, um, with Labour's support strengthening that we might see people on the further to the left feel safe about giving their, their vote to the Greens, but that hasn't happened. I certainly don't think policies like the the um, the Green School helped in terms of um, exciting and mobilising their kind of grassroots supporter base. Mm. I think um, the, the policy announcement about um, rep- climate change reporting perhaps might be, you know, seen as a win and a bit of a, a yep. palate cleanser. Yep. But in reality, uh, I mean, firstly, it's confusing. Are they reporting on, you know, are, are these big outfits reporting on on um, what damage they're doing to, to, to that... Um, um, to the environment and therefore, Mm. you know, climate change, or are they reporting on how their businesses might be impacted by climate change? I'm unsure, but but people don't tend to knock on themselves. So while it it might be a symbolic one, I'm not sure if it's going to have a huge impact and if it's really going to excite their their voter base. In a way that more kind of grassroots conservation efforts and social justice efforts might do. This it's is a very PWC environmentalism kind of initiative. This is the announcement that, that, that was this morning um, that uh, all 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 companies above a certain level will need to report on their climate impact, right? Which was made by James Shaw as a minister rather than a pledge from the Green Party, which is and in that slightly confusing territory, mm. really. And there was another announcement, I think, by Julianne Genta. Uh, yesterday as Associate Minister of Health about the expansion of youth mental health services. So the Greens have have obviously decided, you know, it was obviously decided that they needed to try and get a little bit more oxygen. Well, there have also been provincial growth fund announcements sort of in the last week or so too, so (laughs) that does get into that murky territory. The other thing, and let's... And and the thing is it shows that they have been very constructive in government. Uh, They haven't gotten those huge wins of the Provincial Growth Fund um, up until the Shovel Ready Project where they managed to secure a green school. But, you know, Julianne Gent has been an excellent Associate Minister of Health. James Shaw has managed to get some climate change legislation passed, you know, with multi-party support. Um, Jan Logie has been a very, very good Undersecretary on uh, 
domestic and family violence issues. Um, Eugenie Sage, a bit more mixed in conservation, probably hasn't lived up to members' expectations, but again, if you think about you know the Labour or New Zealand first counterfactual, and it will leave a gap if the Greens leave, if the Greens are forced out of Parliament. Um, you know, there are some very good people coming in for Labour. Dr. Aisha Verrill is the, the obvious sort of one. Uh, Barbara Edmonds has a lot of big raps on her. But I don't think, you know, Michael Wood is a guy who I think was underutilised in the last government or the last term. Kitty Allen probably could look at a promotion. But I don't think that they have like a really high calibre of people in the Labour caucus, either the existing one or the incoming one. Um, to fill all of those executive slots without New Zealand First and without the Greens. Um, and so that's that's an ongoing risk. We've got coming in the next few days, it's very exciting, it's like Christmas, we've got the pre-few. It's starting to feel a lot like pre-few. <laughs> <laughs> One more sleep till pre-few. It's Ben's most exciting night he of the year. He puts his stocking out the night before. He leaves some cookies out for Treasury. And then the next morning his stocking is filled with dossiers of fiscal uh, reviews. and What is it? The, the, the pre-election fiscal something? Update. Update. Yeah, good. Uh, so I was going to say Outlook, but then it would be Prefo. 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 Think they should about have it, gone for Prefect if they could have got, mm. you know, um, events and calibrated tables or something like that. The... Um, that, that is, a, uh, of course, uh, a way to kind of try and set a level playing field for the parties as they go into the crunch bit of the campaign with Treasury's tables rather than after some stuff that happened in the <laughs> 70s and 80s with unexpected um, opening of the books where people opened them and they got uh, not the most... Uh, happy Christmas surprise of all time. Some got lumps of coal. They did that. Mm. They did that. And then the day after that, we're going to see the GDP numbers, which is, um, which I think is on Thursday, which is going to paint the picture of just how it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be oh. recession time because we'll have the two quarters mm. in a row that um, that are uh, in, in decline. But it's, it's a, whether it's as high as, what, 15% or something. Is, is you don't have to be Jim Hickey to know that the outlook is um, <laughs> shit that <there. coughs> uh, And then the other thing, hopefully, we will do a dance um, in prayer. We'll get a poll, because we haven't had a, a, a public poll for nearly six weeks um, after. And maybe it's time for... Some Radio New Zealand or somebody, someone, something has to happen, really, because I do feel like I do feel like quite genuinely, apart from uh, providing us with fodder to get excited about, it is it is important for people to know where the parties stand, particularly with a electoral system that hinges on a threshold of five percent. Yeah, well, Winston Peters would say it's better to take polls out of it and let people just decide on the virtues of the parties as they're promoted. Jeff Simmons from Top would say the same thing. Um, they would say, you know, let's have a veil of ignorance where we don't know the strategic context of our voting and we're, we're literally just voting for the policies that we think are best um, as disembodied spirits. Mm. And then some people who could afford polls and look at them <laughs> privately would have them and the rest of us wouldn't. Mm. which is the situation we have now, essentially, with political parties. Um, but polling is very expensive. You know, a good, good poll costs, what, 15, 20 grand. Mm. And that's money that is 
you know, in the old days, that would help you sell newspapers or it would get eyeballs for your TV1 or TV3 news bulletin. Now, because of the internet, you've lost it as soon as, it, as it's broadcast. It gets reported on the Herald two minutes after you've broadcast it on TVNZ News. Um, and so yeah. the economics are getting harder and harder for the news organisations. I was informed that there were, out, uh, there were some polling for Auckland Central happening literally in person by a real polling company outside the Victoria Park New World the other day. <laughs> so that's that's where we are. Um, Annabelle uh, Lee Mather is waving her finger at me, trying to wind this thing up in the interests of brevity and snappiness. We've and gone twice as long as what our producer Jane Yee said we should. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry Jane. <clears throat> uh, Merry Christmas everybody. Uh, thanks Tina, thanks to the members um, thanks to Flick Electric for keeping the lights on and we'll be back next week with more political conversation Kia ora e te iwi, te ai he butler here podcast manager at the spin-off if you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.